Perhaps you've seen the some of the ads for the He Gets Us campaign, which shows images of things that Jesus understands because not only was he divine, but he was human. And this morning we're going to think about the fact that Jesus got angry, and we're going to see the video. There was this controversial figure. Everywhere he went, people challenged him. They questioned his ideology, trolled him, called him ugly names. But he never took the bait, never raised his voice, refused to retaliate because he believed he could change the world by turning the other cheek. Jesus did turn the other cheek, but it's also true that he got angry. Last week, we saw, we think about that um, Jesus didn't get angry at sheep, at people who were confused and wandering. They needed to be cared for. He says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. We talked about to be harassed is to be agitated, disturbed, to be helpless is to be thrown down. And when Jesus saw somebody in a vulnerable spiritual or emotional state, he didn't get angry at them. He felt compassion for them because he saw himself as a shepherd and he understood that sheep without a shepherd cannot thrive. They cannot manage on their own. Jesus didn't get angry at sheep who needed care. He got angry at shepherds who failed to provide the care that sheep need. It says another time, Jesus, he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to, to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. <clears throat> then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. When we think about Jesus' anger, if there's an iconic moment in which Jesus got angry, it is when he cleared the temple. There's an image of it from the Middle Ages. You can't identify Jesus very clearly, perhaps, but that's him there. And and when they show Jesus doing this, and sometimes it doesn't look like he's very angry, but the fact is that that Jesus was livid. And it might help us then what our goal will be to try to figure out why. What made him so angry when he walked into the temple and saw what was happening there? Let's let's follow the narrative. Here's what it says. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He probably was traveling south, but they called it going up 
to Jerusalem because even if you were going from north to south, you had to go in an elevation. Jerusalem was on a hill, so you really had to go up into Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. The Passover was one of three annual feasts that every Jew had to participate in if they could. You traveled, and uh, it, this Passover was the most important of the three. Passover commemorated God's deliverance of the Jews from Egypt when the angel of death passed over the houses of those whose firstborn had blood applied to the door frames indicating they were God's people. Um, there are people who provided services for those who traveled long distances to attend this feast. Cattle and sheep and doves were needed for the various offerings. They could buy the animals on site rather than having to lead or carry them for long distances. So those who sold the animals they would need to bring offerings, they 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 kind of provided a valuable service. The money changers likewise rendered a service to those who were coming. Visitors to Jerusalem needed their money exchanged into the local currency to pay the tax that every Jewish male 20 and above had to pay. If you came with currency that was not accepted you had to go to a money changer and they changed your money into the local currency so you could pay the tax. And again, they provide a service. Um, Jesus reacts angrily to these providers. It says, so he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables to those who sold doves. He said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market. Jesus makes a whip and drives out the merchants, sheep, and cattle. He drives out the money changers, takes their table, tips them over, takes the money, and pours the money out. Uh, the doves, which would have been in cages, he doesn't release. He says, get these out of here. And again, the question becomes, why is he angry? They are providing a service. They're doing what it is they should do. And yet Jesus reacts. There's something here which might give us a clue. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus is consumed by devotion for his father's house. To be consumed literally be eaten up. And when Jesus sees what is going on, his reaction is like he's getting eaten up by zeal. There is something intolerable about the merchant's presence because it misrepresents what his father is all about. And that's what Jesus reacts to. It communicates something wrong about his father. When Jesus comes in the father's name, what that means, that Jesus comes as his father's representative. When a king designated and gave someone authority to speak in the king's name, they described it as the king sent that person in his name so that the 
words of the representative are the words of the king. It says in the Bible, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And in this last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has committed all things. The son is the exact representation of the father. A lot of people claim to speak for God and have spoken for God through the ages. Some of them are found in the Bible. What what we're to understand is that when Jesus speaks in the name of the Father, he speaks with a clarity that no one else spoke with. You remember when a while ago, when television, they went from analog to digital? Remember that thing when if you had an analog signal, you had to update it and it wasn't going to work anymore. And the, the channels that you saw, and it went from analog to digital and it was a clearer picture. And that's kind of the way it is in the Bible. In the Old Testament of the Bible, it's like we have an analog picture of God. You can learn some things about God, but God is not clear the way that picture was not as clear. When Jesus comes, he reflects the Father digitally. And so Jesus' reflection of the Father is crystal clear. If there's any disparity between how Jesus reveals the Father and how the Father has been revealed Prior, Jesus' revelation is the clear one. Um, and it, it was Jesus then, he really cared when his father was misrepresented. Um, he was overcome, Jesus. Actually, this happened not once, but twice. It happened in the first year of his ministry. And then he went back and celebrated Passover a second time. And we don't have any event or reaction there, but he went back there a third time. And that was close to the time he died. And he did the same thing. He clear, cleared the temple the same way. There are some things that help us understand, maybe a little bit, why his reaction is so strong. In Mark 11, says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. The temple in Jerusalem was a large structure that had courtyards within courtyards. Once you entered within the walls of the building, there was a courtyard. And as you look at it, there are there's these big courtyards here, and then there are subsequent courtyards. If you go through that doorway into the temple proper, there's another courtyard here. That's the court of women. Only Jewish women could go into that courtyard. No Gentiles could go that far. And then there's another courtyard in there. And that's the court into which Jewish men could go. And then there's another inner courtyard. That was the court where only Jewish priests could go. And then in the very center of it, there is 
are two rooms. When you go through that door, you go into the holy place, and only some priests could go in there. There was the holy place, and then there was a curtain, and in behind the curtain in the back of this building on the inside, there was called the Holy of Holies, and that was the place where God was said to dwell, and only the high priest could go into that structure, and only once a year, and never without blood, as Jesus looked at the temple, that's what his, that's what had been put in place. He um, noticed that in this large area here, this courtyard here, and this courtyard here, these are the that's the the courtyards of the Gentiles. That's where non-Jews could come, and you as a non-Jew couldn't go into there, but they could be in the courtyard. And there were merchants set up in the courtyard as well. Um, and what we have, what Jesus ends up saying, and as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be a house of, called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. A couple of things happen. When you brought an animal to the temple, say if you brought your own sheep or goat or dove, it had to be perfect. And so what would happen if you came with an animal, they had to check it out. And if they determined that the animal was imperfect, it wouldn't work. And then you had to buy an animal that was perfect. And they had places there that for a fee you could buy. And, and so they would charge prices and they would find little things that rendered your offering imperfect. And then you had to buy. So in that way, it was a den of robbers. They were kind of fleecing people. But that's not Jesus' big deal. His deal was that his father's temple was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And that was the problem. The problem is that while the temple is supposed to allow all nations, um, not merely Jews, to connect with God, um, the, the courtyard of the Gentiles, whoop, excuse me. Up. We back up, John. And go back to there. We go. Thanks, John. Um, again, only Jews could go into this place. There is a five-foot wall that separated the courtyard of the Gentiles from the inner structure. This wall was on both sides. The wall had 13 openings, and non-Jews were not allowed to go past that place. You had to be Jewish in order to go in. Um, However, there were acres of, in fact, this area, this half of the courtyard of the Gentiles is about 15 acres. And so we, at one point, had, so if you take kind of this whole section here from down to the street there and up to here and, and over to the tree line, it's about 15 acres. And we had 15 acres and we sold some off, but double that. Imagine this section and that's how big this was, about 15 acres. And that's another 15 acres. And in that 15 acres, they had all kinds of things that they were selling. And they said that there were about, one person said, in a typical Passover season, they sacrificed about 
255,600 sheep. So imagine that, 255,000 sheep. You need to have a lot of sheep. There were a lot of tables. There were a lot of salespeople. And the fact is, if you were a Gentile, there really wasn't that much room for you to worship. It was taken up by people selling things that other, that not other, that Jews would need to sacrifice inside the temple. What, why was Jesus angry? It's not necessarily what the merchants were doing. And it was more a sense of where. The merchants set up shop in the place reserved for Gentiles. The sale of sacrificed animals, it could have happened outside the walls. Why Jesus was angry is that this space was dedicated to individuals that he cared about. What we learn from Matthew's account of this, when Jesus, and again, think about that, Jesus' anger, how long do you think it would take to clear 35 acres? It wasn't just a little room. Jesus made a cord, a whip of cords, and drove people out. I would dare say that it took more than a minute to do that. 35 acres, so he had to hustle people out and people came in. Jesus sustained his anger for a while. This wasn't a burst of anger. Jesus was really angry and for a period of time. Um, again, the sale of sacrificed animals could have been facilitated outside the temple. Um, Jesus' anger might seem strange. If you look into the Old Testament, in fact, I included an article it's in your worship folder. If you want to read along, I'm going to read it and then say just a few things about it briefly and then we'll be finished. But there's a place that has at the top the place for grace and it asks the question, is God racist? Um, in the Old Testament, it seems like God plays favorites that Jewish men and women are innies, non-Jewish which are called Gentiles. If you are a Jew, there's Jews, then everybody else is a Gentile. And in the Old Testament, it seems to suggest that Jews are the only innies and Gentiles are outies. Let's just read the article, follow along. It, it, based on Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, Paul writes, He himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I'm going to point out something briefly. This is what it's describing when it talks about the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You, to be a non-Jew and to go past that barricade would get you in serious trouble. And it says when Jesus broke it down, he broke down that wall which separates innies and outies. Let's go on. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Discrimination based on race, class, and gender was practiced 
within ancient Judaism. In fact, the Old Covenant, mediated by Moses, was blatantly discriminatory. It mandated racial discrimination. It says in Deuteronomy 7, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven, nature, seven nations larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you, and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them, and show them no mercy. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. God chose the Israelites out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people. While this was good news for Israel, it was bad news for everyone else. Commenting on the status of Gentiles within the Old Covenant, Paul indicates that non-Jews, Gentiles, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Even though God chose the children of Israel to be his treasured possession, his purposes were always global in scope. God promised that Abraham would surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. God predetermined that when his eternal purposes were fulfilled, his people would be racially diverse. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, bar barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. On the cross, Jesus put to death the sacred grounds for discrimination and racial hostility. The temple in Jerusalem was constructed as a series of courtyards within courtyards, each being increasingly restrictive. The outermost courtyard of the Gentiles was separated from the main part of the temple by a five-foot wall. Inscribed on this barrier in Greek and Latin, in red letters on white limestone, was this warning. Let no Gentile enter within the balustrade and enclosure about the sanctuary. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Paul himself narrowly escaped death when he was suspected of violating the sanctity of the temple by taking a Gentile into one of the inner courts. It says, men of Israel, help us. This is the man, talking about Paul, who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city and Paul with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. Jesus destroyed this dividing wall of hostility that separated Jews from Gentiles by abolishing in his flesh the law of Moses with his commandments and regulations. There is some confusion today regarding Jesus' relationship to the Old Covenant. Some quote the following verse as proof that Jesus left the Old Covenant intact. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The confusion is easily cleared up. The phrase, the law of the prophets, refers not to the Mosaic law, but to the 39 books of the Old Testament. God, Jesus did not come to abolish the Old Testament. 
but he did come to abolish the old covenant. By inaugurating the new covenant, Jesus repealed the old covenant that sanctioned racial discrimination in the first place. In so doing, Jesus dealt a death blow to the practice of sacred race. I'm not suggesting in any way that God made a mistake. The old covenant was meant to be temporary. It was not meant to be permanent. It was meant to be an initial stage of God revealing himself, an analog stage, a stage that you wouldn't see God clearly. Things were divided. That's what the old covenant, when Jesus came, remember what he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. At the cross, Jesus annulled the old covenant and introduced a new covenant. And the new covenant, he invites all people to believe in Christ, Jew and Gentile, Significant. In the Old Covenant, the only thing you need to do is to understand who Jesus was, that he came to die so that we would be able to access God um, through belief in Christ. We asked a question to begin with, why was Jesus angry? And again, to close, it wasn't what the merchants were doing, but where. Merchants set up shop in the place reserved for Gentiles. Jesus' anger was directed, and I think still is, Jesus' anger is directed at those who claim to speak for God. They claim to speak for God, but they suggest that God has room for us, but he doesn't make room for them. And that's the thing that God would communicate to this world. He has room for those who consider themselves his people, but he has room for those that might feel separate. And so if you are consider yourself an any, that's a good place. Through Christ, you are a member of God's family. And you might think of those who you would describe as them, as being outside of a place where God could care. And what Jesus reveals to us, God makes room for us. And he also makes room for them. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for sending your son. There's things we don't quite understand, but Jesus cleared something up. Oh, that you open the doors of eternal life to anyone who believes in Christ. We all come into your family through believing in Christ. We don't have to join a particular religion. We don't have to confess a certain code. It's about recognizing that Jesus died so that we could become your sons and daughters. You so loved the world that you gave your only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through Christ. Thanks for that. Thank you for being inclusive. And I'd ask that we would reflect that inclusiveness when we deal with people. In Jesus' name, amen.